go to work and it's the groundhog day and it's fine and it was stable, but I just, what's, what is the point? <laughs> Welcome back passive investor. We've got another episode of the passive income adventures with Jamie Bateman. Jamie is a fund manager with Labrador Lending, and he is the host of a podcast that helps investors talk about some of the challenges that they've overcome and how they're working on things in the future. And it was the first podcast that I ever cried on. So thanks so much for that, JB. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're so welcome. I'm hoping you don't re return the favor, but I did enjoy your story. And uh, thank you for coming on my show as well. And I'm ha happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. I think that this is going to be a great conversation based on our first time that we met and had a chat. We got really deep, really fast, and that's the way that I like to do things. So <laughs> let's just kick it right off with having you tell us your introduction, like your origin story. You can make it as Batman or Superman origin <laughs> story as you like, and tell us you got started down this alternative path towards passive income and entrepreneurship, investor, and where that that turning point really was for you. I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. Yeah. I guess growing up, I had, was decent at sports and so that kind of occupied my time outside of school. And I'm one of seven. So we had a big, big family and we were always lots of energy and life and that kind of thing. So I, like most kids and teenagers, I didn't give my future too much thought. But then once I got out of college and my collegiate athletic career abruptly ended and it was like, okay, now what? And of course I had thought some about what to do, but really didn't know what I was going to do quite honestly. And I fell into an opportunity to work for a title company and then a mortgage company as well, really just to have a paycheck quite honestly. But I ended up learning so much about what is title insurance? What's a, what is it? How does a closing work? What the fees on a settlement statement, even though my father had been a real estate agent for many, many years, I didn't really understand that stuff. Like most of us were not taught that in school, right? So I did learn a lot of practical information right after college through that. And then, um, but still wasn't fulfilled. And so wanted to do something, I wanted to do something with a little more purpose, or at least what I viewed as having more purpose at that time. And so I joined the military, was deployed to Iraq. And, and then I ended up transitioning from the from military service into a civilian job with the Department of Defense. And so it wasn't necessarily the path I'd predicted, but it was a, a, a nice stable paycheck with good benefits and ended up working there for 14 years. And what that allowed me to do, because frankly, it is one of the most secure jobs out there. I don't think any, there's always risk. Nothing is a hundred percent secure, but I did feel that this position was certainly pretty stable. So I could go out and kind of on the side, take some other chances and have a little less stability, a little less predictability, as I know you can you relate to of being an entrepreneur and an investor. And so that gets to the 2015, which is when I made the mindset shift that we can talk about. But that's a little bit about my background. I have a history in team sports, leadership, and um, military service, but always wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. And it sounds, it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn, but I just, I think that's where purpose lies is serving others and trying to be a part of a bigger purpose and team vision goal, whatever you want to call it. So that's a little bit about my back background. I'd love to, I can certainly dive in more on the mindset shift that I did make a while back as well. 
Yeah, I would definitely love to hear about that turning point that you hit because there are title officers, escrow officers, real estate agents, commercial brokers, bankers, lenders all over this country who are watching investors come in every day and close properties over and over again and wondering like, how do I get into this? How do I get into this? I'm sitting on the wrong side of the table, but they're not able to make that shift more than more often than not the frontline real estate professionals do not become investors. So tell me about what that looked like for you sitting on the wrong side of the table and thinking, how can I get over into that position where I'm an investor? Because lots of people think it, but very few actually do it. Yeah, I did have a period of time between the title industry and mortgage industry from that point until I actually made the actual jump. But Yeah, I don't know. It it was a process, but I think what I ended up doing was 2014, 2015 timeframe in that general timeframe. I just, I was just sick and tired of the commute and the W2 and like a lot of your listener listeners can relate to, I'm sure just the daily grind, right? You go to work and it's the groundhog day and it's fine. And it was stable, but I just, what's, what is the point? (laughs) It gets really old. What I started doing was listening to podcasts and I know you were on the bigger pockets podcast a while back. And uh, that was one key podcast for me as I was in, I said, if I'm going to spend two to three hours per day, at least in the car, I'm going to make the most of it. How do I get out? It really was at that point. How do I get away from the monotony of this soul sucking (laughs) job? (laughs) And I had plenty of, I love my coworkers and all that. It's not like it was anything personal, but after quite some time, you start to do, run the numbers and you start to look forward and you say, this isn't, this just isn't going to cut it. So what I started doing was looking around, intentionally looking around and saying, what can I control and what are the, what do I have going for me? In other words, stop watching the news. I used to come home from work and turn on the news and it's, I have no control over who gets elected president or what, how we handle this foreign policy or something. So really did make a major switch mentally um, about in about 2015. And I said, okay, my father's a real estate agent. My brother is a loan officer. I have title experience. My wife worked at a title, separate title company. So you start looking at the things you have going for you and the things, because everyone has advantages. And so I started looking at those and not paying attention to the things that I couldn't control anyway. And so in 2015, I, I actually went part-time and this was another advantage to my W2 or an advantage to it is that I was able to go part-time and keep my benefits. Not everyone has that opportunity necessarily, but I was able to work for the next seven years, anywhere from 16 to 32 hours per week. And I still had health insurance for our family and I was still able to save up in for retirement and that kind of thing. Obviously was getting paid less, but so I, I joked to you before we hit record, I didn't really rip off the bandaid fully. I took my time in, in, in approaching the entrepreneurship and the investor life. But then in, in March of 2022, just about 10 months ago, I did actually quit my job, which was a whole, was, yeah, was interesting in and Let's of itself. Let's have a little party right now. Let's just stop there. <laughs> Let's just think about the momentousness. I don't even know if that's a real word yeah. of what you yeah. just said there. I'll say it again. What did you do? <laughs> So in March of 2022, I quit my W-2. I said, I've had enough. It was funny. I haven't told this part of the story, if you don't mind. I felt like I was in office space, if anyone has seen that movie where... So what had happened was I ruptured my Achilles. I was out for a couple months and 
I knew I was going to leave at some point, but, and certainly I talked this over with my wife and wasn't a unilateral decision, but I just, my heart wasn't in it anymore, but come back into work. And I went to my desk and there's someone else at my desk and he did. And I said, Hey, just, this was my desk a few months ago, but you may not know who I am. And he's, yeah, I don't know. And just keeps working. So I have to wander around the office. This is really <laughs> a blow to the ego. If I'm <laughs> honest, wander around the office looking for my new desk. And I find, I look over and I see a box with my name on it with, I guess my stuff inside the box. So my first thought was I should just take this box and literally never come back. <laughs> I did quit that day. I did come back. I did work another month or two, but I put in, I told management I was, I couldn't do it anymore. So it was very clear for me. There was no doubt and no re regret. I think that I got too much of a taste of freedom <laughs> and I couldn't, I just couldn't, I wasn't doing any, I wasn't going to be of service to them and I, it, I couldn't do it. So yeah, ripped off the bandaid finally and, or the other half of the bandaid maybe. Yeah. And, and here we are. So I've got, I'm probably busier now than I was then, but running different businesses and, but I do work for myself and I love it. So yeah. You know, that's that your story. It reminds me of something I overheard my mom say to one of my elementary school teachers during some parent teacher conference. And I was listening in when I probably shouldn't have been. And my mom was frustrated because she said every summer when she comes home, she's able to do what she wants and she learns and she gets stuff done. And then the school year starts and it's like trying to stuff a square peg into a round hole. And I mm. don't think that she needs that kind of experience. She can do what she needs to do during the summer. She's proven it. I don't understand why it has to be like this. And I, I that's a little bit, I'm putting some words in her mouth, but that really woke me up to the fact like that when you have a summer vacation, which is basically what you had, even though you had a yeah, ruptured Achilles. Yeah, and I, I know from our right. previous conversation, that was a, <laughs> it wasn't fun, but yeah, I get, yeah devastating recovery. But at the same yeah. time, when you go back to work and you've been away for a while and you realize, yeah, no, it's like summer vacation is over. And I remember right. being bored a lot during summer vacation. I remember being excited to see who my new teacher was and who, what other kids were in the class with me. But at the same time, after that newness of a, the first week of school and your new outfits are all worn, <laughs> wore off and your crayons all need sharpened, I was just over it. I was done. And then it was just like a prison and a torture for the rest of the school year. And then summer vacation would come around again. And that's probably one reason I homeschool my kids. But that same kind of experience where you get that taste of what life can be like, and suddenly yeah. you can't force yourself back into the square peg, into the round hole anymore. Right. And so what that transition looked like, walk me through that. Because most people, the yeah. reason they don't quit their jobs, because people mm -hmm. talk about this a lot. If I didn't have to work for my money and I just went to work because I wanted to, how much differently would I perform at work? And the answer that I've gotten over and over again when people get to that point is they quit. People don't stay working at their job if they yeah. don't have to be there, you can find as much right. fulfillment and love in it. And a few people do, but most of us, the goal is to leave and work on our own projects. And the reason we don't leave is because we can't afford to. So when you got to that point yeah. where you're like, I can afford to do this, what yeah. was that like? Because I know stepping away, it's a big loss of income. And there's a period of time where you have yeah. to fill in that gap. So yeah, how were you sure. able to get to that point mentally and financially? Yeah. I mean, Financially, for one thing, I do think it's a little bit disingenuous when people will say, I got my passive income or my, my, my business income up to match my W-2, 
So therefore I could quit my job and it's right. But then you had both and you just lost your W2. So you, there's still a drop Cut in income. In I don't care. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Like there's still a drop in income. So you're never it just, yeah, there was certainly a blip there where look, there's a risk here and we had saved up enough. My wife and I had developed a single family rental portfolio, which we've continued to add to. And so we did have a good amount of rental income coming in on top of that. My kids are both in middle school now and or, well, one's in high school, one's in middle school. And my wife was looking to potentially get back into the workforce. So that certainly helped certainly from the, our health insurance is through her work now. I guess mindset wise, so financially, we were able to just make it work. It, there, it wasn't ideal, but I don't know if it's ever, if you wait for all the stars to align, I just don't think it's ever going to be that way. So there's always, but again, the thing is, I saw it as, so this is switching over to the mental side of it. I could always go get a job again. And that might sound cocky or something, but I think most of us could go back and get a job. I had, in fact, I had a security clearance and I had, I guess I have two years where I can reinstate that fairly easily. So I still could go back and get that same job. Most likely. Uh, I just don't see it as a huge risk. As far as if you take a step back, one thing I think, and I've talked about this a little bit myself, but one thing to ask yourself is instead of saying, what if this, what if that, what if this say, even if, even if I start this business and it doesn't work. I still have options. It's going to be okay. I can still do X, Y, and Z. So I don't pretend to have the entire future laid out. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But another thing I like to mention is that I prefer to look at things as I'd rather, and I had a roommate in college who would say this, he was a power lifter. People would say, man, it's really bad for your knees to, to squat that much weight. And he would always say, I'd rather wear out than rust out. If you're rusting out, it means you're just sitting there doing nothing you're going to, in the end, be essentially, <laughs> we're, we're all going to die, right? So you may as well take some chances, may as well live a little bit and not die with regret. So yeah, mentally I was just done and I've never been someone, and I don't know if entrepreneurship is, is for everyone, but I've never been someone who really needed a lot of, I put enough structure on myself and I was always disciplined with exercising, working out, preparing for athletics or whatever it is. I never needed that person looking over my shoulder to keep me on track. So I certainly need guidance and I need people to look up to, and I, I don't know everything for sure, but I just was self-motivated, I guess, in that sense. So I think the leap to entrepreneurship mentally was a big relief actually for me, because I just, now I can focus on <laughs> doing whatever I want, which Again, I'm probably working harder than I was last year, but yeah, that's a little bit of the, a peek into the kind of financial situation and the mental situation as well. You have the double grit of having been a high level athlete. Most of us don't play sports in college. I didn't even play. I barely played sports in high school. I had to join the sport where nobody got cut from the team. That was, that was about <laughs> how athletic I was. I love sports, but that doesn't mean I'm good at it. And then you join the military, which even just basic training, even if you're going into a desk job after that, doesn't matter. There's something about the military that demands a certain level of gritty mindset. And so you've got the advantage of having both of those and the work, the hard work that those disciplines require is a byproduct of how important that thing 
is to you. And so now that you're working harder as an entrepreneur, hard work mm -hmm. just comes. We don't just right. work for the sake of working. We could go out and dig ditches and that would be hard work, right? But how do we decide sure. what we're going to do? It's something that we're excited about, something we believe is either giving back to the community, giving back to the family, doing some good in the world, freeing up your mental energy time to focus on stuff that's really going to be the highest value. And so tell us what your life basically looks like now where you can take <laughs> that background of that yeah. mortgage industry, that yeah. athletic mindset, that military experience. And tell us about what your business looks like today. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you do need to put in place certain boundaries just or else you'll go a little too far potentially. But yeah, today I run a small team, Labrador Lending. We have, I have four people now part-time in, in the States that work for me. And then I have two virtual assistants that do a wonderful job from the Philippines. And that's my main business that I spend most of my time in. And I love running a small team. I love trying to make it a mutually beneficial situation. And I love seeing the growth in the people on my team. And so that, that team aspect has always been there for me as far as like we already covered with athletics and the military. So that transition hasn't been that hard. Um, day to day, I am trying to make sure I don't go overboard, frankly, with working too much on weekends and that kind of thing. And this year I'm actually putting some things in place just to focus more on my health and my family. And that in general, that's what I spend most of my time doing. We, we have two different mortgage note funds. One we're raising capital for still. We can talk more about that later, but that's all under the umbrella of Labrador lending. And we've got, I'm in meetings a good bit, but my main focus is trying to raise capital, serve others as best as possible, serve our investors, serve my team, help them grow and a rising tide lifts all ships. That's, I do, and I do believe that small business truly is a force for good. And are we perfect? No, not even close. There's always issues or challenges. And I enjoy just that problem solving part of it. And I like to think that our business adds a decent amount of value to the world. So. Yeah, I feel like I have a little more impact right now than I did sitting at my desk at at Fort Meade. Now we have a couple of mortgage notes and as far as passive income goes, it's mm -hmm. tough to it's tough to beat that. I really yeah. almost never talk to the mortgagee. I'm a mortgager. Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, guy who lives right. in my house. <laughs> right. We manage it through an escrow company and it's super hands-off. And so I like to give on this show, not only the mindset shifts and the motivation to basically make a choice that is the right for you, no matter if it's on the beaten path or off the beaten path. But I also like to give some technical nuts and bolts sure. for the nitty gritty. Yeah. How do we actually get this done? Because it's not, I do know some mortgage note traders and investors. And even right. though I have a couple, I don't really know very much about the industry from a trading standpoint. Yeah. So can you give us a, an introduction, like how you would teach a sixth grader about it to Absolutely. the world of mortgage notes and funds? Yeah. So the way I try to dumb it down, you <laughs> keep it simple is I compare, cause we invest in both non-performing notes and performing notes. So I'm, sounds like your two notes are your borrowers are making payments. And it's so, basically seller financing. I had yeah, a house, yeah. they moved in, they yeah. rent to own and now they own it. But, but, but they're paying, right? I mean, they, yeah, they they're performing. You, right? Yes. Yeah. I may need to so, sell you one of those notes when we go Okay. Account, yeah, so. we, can, we can talk about that. So the non, so we buy both and the non, on the non-performing side, that just means the borrower is behind. They could be making payments, but they generally speaking, they're 90 days behind or further. 
And so we buy those at a discount. And those I like to compare to um, a fix and flip property, right? So it's a distressed asset, meaning you, you can buy it at a discount and we're buying the note, becoming the bank, if you will, becoming the lender as you are essentially on your two seller finance deals. We'll buy the non-performing asset at maybe 50, 50 or 60% of the principal balance. So let's just for rough numbers, the principal balance is $100,000 on this property in Michigan, just making this up. And it's non-performing. The bar was a year behind on their payments. We don't know what's going on. They just, they got laid off. They stopped making their payments. We we can buy that potentially for fifty to $60,000. And then there are different exit strategies that we might be able to pursue it could be foreclosure. We try to avoid that path, but we will do that if we have to. And then could be a deed in lieu of foreclosure where we get the property. It could be, uh, usually the best case scenario is to get the loan reperforming and do some type of workout with a borrower, which could be a forbearance or a loan modification, get that loan reperforming, and then we can sell that maybe for $80,000. So that's a non-performing note. They're different approaches to those performing notes, which we also buy, we buy for cash flow, And those are much more like a buy and hold rental property. Notes, just like anything else, have disadvantages. They do not, note investing really does not come with any tax advantages, for example. And another disadvantage is as the borrower pays down the loan, the value of that asset goes down. So the value of that note goes down because the principal balance is going down. Whereas most real estate over time appreciates, right? So I like to think of non-performing notes like a fix and flip property where there's a clear exit point and you're adding value to that asset. And then the performing note is more like a cash flow play, like a buy and hold rental property. So mm -hmm. hopefully that helps a little bit. So what's the difference between we were talking about this on a previous episode where the dirty little secret in real estate investing is that the cash flow is really not that great. And so we're basically going from transaction to transaction, whether you're selling something long-term, let's say you have a buy and hold and a few years down the road, your return on equity is very low because it's appreciated a lot, but the rent hasn't appreciated as much. So you're like, ah, oh, I got a mm -hmm. lot of equity trapped in there. How do I get it out? You refinance it or you sell it. And then you take that chunk of cash and then you go and reinvest it in something else. And so the cash flow is just enough to keep everything from being foreclosed on. Basically, if you are doing enough of it, you can have a pretty decent lifestyle off of it. But for those of us who are just moving in this direction, oftentimes cash flow is the biggest hurdle that we have. Yeah. And a lot of people will buy businesses. They'll buy car washes or a franchise or something so that they can enjoy the cash flow on that investment that they put into the business while they're enjoying the long-term appreciation and built building of wealth on these assets that the like our larger real estate. So yeah. This sounds like to me like note buying would be it's almost more like buying a real estate business than it would be some sort of a long term appreciation or wealth building play. Is that correct? Or tell me what I mean, that looks like. So I hate to say it depends, but I say it a lot. <laughs> and it really does because you can be very transactional in the note space, just like you, you have wholesalers and flippers and mm -hmm. real estate agents and on the real estate side, but you can be very transactional on the note side as well. And or there are plenty of people who do just buy for cash flow. Uh, but yeah, it's I would agree if you're buying a handful of rental properties, you're not changing your life overnight <laughs> from a cash flow <laughs> and income standpoint. It's a long-term play. So if you're buying performing notes for cash flow, I think it's a similar thing. You're, it, even though the asset's not appreciating, 
you should be able to. So we can still find yields in the 12 to 15% range on a performing or re-performing note. So that's not too bad. If you compare it to dividend stocks or something else, it only it's, beats that. it's, it's pretty good. They don't good. have any and tax other... benefits either. No, and, and this I, is true. Just briefly where you were talking about how there are no tax benefits of note buying, right. there are no tax benefits to buying stock. You have to have some sort of depreciating right. asset, like a house or a piece of equipment in a business. And yeah. a lot of people who are looking at notes are like, oh, there's no depreciation. There's no depreciation in most of the things that we invest in. Yeah. So I just wanted to, yeah. to put that little insertion. Well, I think and another point with notes is the collateral is huge. That's You mm -hmm. don't have that in stock. If I buy a share of Apple stock, there's no collateral. The company, yes, it's supposed to be based on the earnings or whatever, but <laughs> in, in our, it's supposed to be, I don't know yeah. what it is now, but, but with mortgage notes, we invest in first lien mortgage notes for a reason, because I'm familiar with real estate. And the, and so we do do due diligence on that real estate itself thoroughly, because that's our collateral. So if the borrower doesn't pay, we have something backing our investment. So that's a key piece to mortgage note investing. Yes, there are downsides compared to real estate, but in mortgage notes, there's a kind of a, the collateral is the real estate. So it, there's a, it's a little more secure in that sense compared to a lot of other asset classes. So yeah, hopefully that makes sense. We've been looking at purchasing a business. My husband is, he's unemployed currently. We're calling him self-employed. <laughs> Yeah, And so he's just looking at all of his options. So he can start looking at unemployment, like a claim here pretty soon. And so while he's looking for a new W-2 and he's looking at taking a larger part of my business, and he's also looking at purchasing some sort of a business, he just doesn't really know yet. And mm -hmm. that's what we're looking at for that cash flow play. But the thing I really love about note investing is it takes our real estate knowledge and really makes good use of it. We don't have to go buy a franchise for lawn care or something like that because we're real estate people. And I, I told him just this morning, I said, it seems silly that we're we're looking at other opportunities when our knowledge of real estate is it's like a surgeon saying, I want to start a YouTube channel and never cut into anybody again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Let's no, take our highest yeah. and best skill set and go use that sure. to really make an income. And that's why notes really appeal to me because they're extremely passive and we yeah. wouldn't be getting depreciation off of a business anyway, but we're looking for something that has good well, cash flow. And I know you all are about to travel some, and that's another advantage to notes is you can do it from anywhere. You truly can. Mm -hmm. It is really location independent, but yeah, absolutely. I mentor some people in the note space. And usually what I find is that people come over from real estate. The most successful note investors probably have some real estate investing experience. Even if you want to separate the two, they usually have some type of real estate knowledge. And so that's very helpful, as you said, because okay, we got that part. We got the real estate part down, the hard asset part down. And now let's learn the paper part. Or you have kind of engineers who are good at, which you find in real estate as well, but good at analyzing, good at spreadsheets, good at due diligence, good at running the numbers. And maybe some more banker types like financial. But that is one thing I love about notes too. There's no one has it all figured out. There are a lot of different strategies, but usually real estate, or real estate is definitely a strong, I think my power just went out. <laughs> uh -oh. you there? It's flickering. So yeah, but real estate definitely helps. Having real estate investing experience certainly helps in becoming a mortgage note investor, but there are a lot of moving parts. And back to your business question real quick. I 
my business just happens to be in note investing. It's almost like they're two separate things. It's like the notes are commodities and I happen to run a business that's focused on mortgage note investing, but you can be a mortgage note investor and not really run a business out of it. Mm -hmm. I do think starting a business or buying a business and running a business is probably going to be the opportunity, lead to the opportunity for the highest income and profit. I just think an active business, whatever field it's in is probably going to give you the most opportunity to make the most money, quite honestly. And I agree with you though. I think what happens is a lot of people end up running a business and then funneling the, their profits into real estate, which is more of a long-term wealth building play, which I think is a fantastic way to go. Yeah, I learned that at the local angel investors club, we went because I thought, oh, I'm a accredited investor and there are accredited investors surrounding me and let's go do some deals together. I've got some multifamily apartment buildings here that need some investors. And when I got there, I realized they all have real estate investments coming out of their ears. And they would say things like, that's really how we built our foundation right now. And that's why we're at an angel event, because we're looking to do something that's a little bit more risky, a little bit more high return potential. And yeah. real estate's one of those things where, especially commercial real estate, where it's just rinse and repeat, nice and stable. The business plan gets executed over and over again on each property. And I realized that I was barking up the right tree because when I'm standing in a room of some of the wealthiest people in my area, they're all telling me, ah, beyond real estate, we all have zillions of those, right? That they, to get to that point, you really do need to build it off of some sort of platform of investing, but they, they got money in their business and they, most of them are entrepreneurs and then they invested that money into real estate. And then when the big chunks of cash start coming back in the way that real estate does that, they'll take that and go invest it in something that's a little bit more of that high potential tech startup type of thing. And I thought, okay, so this is a path that has been done and again and again and again. And those are the mm -hmm. kind of people that I'm looking for and to inspire me to tell me where I'm going. And so as we were talking before the show, you mentioned that figuring out where you're going from here, because sometimes you can get so head down in the business that setting yeah. your new set of goals, your second, third base home run goals can get away from you because yeah. you're so focused on the business. So tell us where you're headed and <laughs> some of the things that really motivate you to keep doing what you're doing. I think in the last 12 months, I've really spent a lot of time, the well, last 24 months, I'll say a lot of time establishing and systems and things. And we started our two note funds in the last year and a half. We started a loan servicing company two years ago. And I had started my note business before all of that, but I'm not, personally, I'm not looking to start anything new or take on mm -hmm. anything new this year. And what's motivating me is my family. And we've had some challenges with parenting and some health issues in the family and things. And it makes you stop for a second. And as I know you've done yourself is you realize this is so important and it's not a matter of, oh, I'm stopping my business or I'm quitting this or anything else, but where I'm headed is focusing on fine tuning our processes and supporting my team as best as possible. I'm still going to work a good bit myself, but continuing just, I guess, focusing on quality versus quantity and quality mm -hmm. over growth this year. Personally, I'm always trying to grow on a personal development level, but from a business standpoint, we have things rolling and I just want to make sure we make smart decisions. And I want to create enough mental space for myself to make good decisions from a business and family and leadership standpoint, as opposed to, as you just said, it's very easy 
to get sucked into doing the day-to-day and then all of a sudden it's Friday evening and I don't know what happened and I haven't, it's, it's very easy for the half the year to be over and you didn't even plan or schedule vacations and things like that. So trying to be a little more focused on that type of thing, health, family, and quality over business growth. Are you part-timing yourself? You work no, in that direction? I mean, I, great question. I do, I will, I do want to go in that direction. One of the, we, one time we took a vacation in Florida and I just, I would work maybe three hours in the morning and then we'd go to the pool or the beach or whatever, go out to dinner. And it was perfect. It was ideal. And I think, I don't think I'll ever retire. I really don't. That's, that would be, I would like to work a little less. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. I've noticed something and you tell me where you come along in this spectrum. I was listening to mm-hmm. an interview with a high level entrepreneur and he was saying that he was trying to learn how to invest and he hated investing and he hated learning about it because if he wanted more money, he would just go make more money. <laughs> and I thought to myself, wait, what? Like that, that seemed totally foreign to me. I realized at that point that I'm not actually an entrepreneur, even though I have been in this entrepreneurial space for many years, doing mm-hmm. little cottage businesses and my investing business. I'm actually an investor. I want to mm. pile up money yeah. like a Scrooge McDuck kind of money bin where I'm <laughs> yeah. feeling super secure and swimming around in all of this cash. I don't want to have to go out and hustle and make more. And I realized the mindset between an entrepreneur and an investor, it's two different profiles. Mm-hmm. And so where do you fall along that? I'll just go make more money. I don't want to learn how to invest all the way over to the side that I'm ending up on where I'm like, I Jeez. just want to collect checks in my mailbox. <laughs> yeah. Great, great question. And I think of the cash flow quadrant from Robert Kiyosaki, yes. which I th- actually thought was better than Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but that's, that's uh, apparently controversial, but (laughs) my kids read the cash flow quadrant. They do not read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. They get enough of that for me. I'm like, okay, the quadrant is where you start now. So yes, I agree. I I got a lot more out of that book than I did out of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, they're both good, but it's, I'm trying to do both. I certainly spend a lot more time in, on the entrepreneur side. I'm trying to move from the kind of self-employed more toward the B quadrant of running a business which is different than just working for myself. But I'm also, I've joined a mastermind group that I mentioned to you before we hit record. And that was maybe six, seven months ago. It's through the Wealth Without Wall Street guys. It's called the Passive Income Mastermind. It's a small group. And the the entire focus is, you do, you should absolutely join it. The entire focus is reaching 200% of your expenses through passive income. And there are other ancillary legs to the stool, but there, there, for example, just planning for wealth transfer or or asset protection or taxes and things like that. It's not all about investments, but for the most part, it's a group of people who come together and look at different asset, different investment opportunities, which I know is right up your alley. So I am much more heavily weighted currently toward the small business slash entrepreneur side, but you absolutely need to learn how to put your money to work for itself. And I am doing both, I, but I don't, like I said, I, if I, I just don't want to do, I don't want to do nothing all day. So, yeah. <laughs> and I, so get, I'd get, rather get be active. Older, you might change. <laughs> I yeah, used to think I the mean, same thing, but now I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> you also have a lot of kids and that's you know. true <laughs> the big family life <laughs> yeah 
But I think I'm doing both to answer your question. I'm doing both. And I do absolutely think, like you said, there's a spectrum. And I think taking the business profits and put moving it more toward in the investment side of things makes a ton of sense. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's the long-term planning of the investor, learning how to take the cash that you generate actively and move it into passive income investments. Because with the way that the cash flow quadrant works is you've got this little square, like a Punnett square, and there's no real path moving through it. And so I like to think of it more as a sequence or a spectrum where you have drew a little graphic like this in an ebook that I'm working on, where on one side of the scale, you're 100% active income. And those that bar graph is eventually going to where you're 100% passive income. And there are half and three quarters spaces in between those. And everybody's along that spectrum somewhere. If you're an entrepreneur, and you just want to keep making money, if you need more, I know a lot of salespeople express that a lot, I'll just go sell something. And it's just a foreign concept to me when I hear them say that when I realize, oh, I'm an investor, I'm a long term mm-hmm, planner, mm-hmm. I want my money to work for me. I don't really want to spend the rest of my life in a business. And really the turning yeah. point for me for that was when my dad, after he retired and he had, he was, he did a zillion things. He passed away in 2019. And before that he had so many hobbies, very handy, very smart math teacher and an English teacher. And he was a physicist, it just software developer. He was out in the garage and yard work. He built our house. Like he was an amazing jack of all trades. And I remember he was, I said, what do, what are you doing now that you're retired a couple of years after he retired, he said, I watch some news and I read the Reader's Digest. And I said, what about music? Are you still composing your music? He said, no, not really anymore. And I said, what about this or that? Or no, not really anymore. And he finally stopped me. He said, you know, all of those things that I said that I wanted to do after I retired? I said, yeah. And he said, I'm too tired to do any of them. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the lesson from an 80 year old man or 75 year old man right there. And I thought, this is good. This clock is winding down. I'd rather, I would rather wear out than rest out. But at a certain point, yeah. you do need to think ahead enough that when you yeah. are, do get too tired to do all the things you want to do, that you have sure. the option to slow down. Well, and, that's a, and, and that's the word it. I was so, going to, yeah. And so I think that's the word I was going to throw in there was options because, so if you have mm-hmm. built up enough wealth and you have enough investment capital working for you, you have options, right? And that's, yes. I don't know. We don't know what our lives are going to look like when we're 80. Why not build up something so that it allows you to have options and, We've put things in place. We do infinite banking as well on the personal side, which is a whole episode to itself. That's a whole episode. <laughs> but that gives us options in certain ways on a smaller scale. So I think investing and learning how to be a good steward of your capital and putting your money to work is only going to give you more options. And one other thing I'll throw in is I just, there is no one set path and not everyone is the same. And we I don't have the same goals as everyone else. And it's very easy to get caught up in what everyone else is doing. Yes, I have people ask me one, I remember one guy that was kind of trying to pick my brain a little bit on, he was bidding on notes. So he was, he had a whole spreadsheet of notes he was trying to buy and he wanted me to help him with what should I pay for these? And the next week he was sending me short-term rental opportunities. (laughs) Look, you don't know what you want. You haven't figured out yourself. I don't, I'm not perfect, but it's like, I can't answer for this guy what he should do if he doesn't even know what, you know, so you've got to take an assessment of who you are, what your personality is, and also where you are in life and what your goals are. So it's, it depends saying that people don't like that because it doesn't sell, but it depends on your situation, depends on your goals, but I love having options. And so that way I'm never 
Same thing with a non-performing note. If we buy it, I don't know how it's going to go exactly, but usually we turn out in the profitable on the profitable side of things, no matter how it goes. I agree. And the options, I think, is really what probably carrying both you and my family through this period of transitioning out of a W-2, because I could go teach piano lessons tomorrow, right? I know we are resourceful and we will figure out this kind of stuff. The question is like the highest and best use of our time. We're still really grappling with that question. And the way that you have have basically walked us through the path of where you started thinking, ah, there's got to be something more than this and gradually moving through those steps. I, it gives a message of hope to people who are not look leap before you look type of people, because I think that they get a lot of the attention and they're out there saying, mm -hmm. oh, in three years, I went from being a million dollars in debt to a millionaire. And those yeah. stories are, can be inspiring, but at the same time, uninspiring because those, the personality type that does that is, is just not everybody's, it's not a common yeah. personality type and yeah. doing the gradual steps like you've done, I think is actually much more relatable to the person, just to the investor mm -hmm. listening to your story. Sure. No, that makes sense. And I think there's, I forget what the it's confirmation bias or no, something else, but the stories you hear uh, of what you just said of the dramatic turnarounds, which frankly, I have those on my podcast because people love them and they are inspiring, mm -hmm. but um, there's, it's a, I'll have to look up the term, but you're only hearing the success stories, right? There are a ton of failures along the way that you're not hearing about. And mm -hmm. so I do think if I was a, if I'd been a single guy, I, I probably would have played it a lot differently. So there's, I probably paid, played it a little bit more safely because there, it wasn't just about me, but it's, you've obviously got to do what's best for you and your family and your situation. I don't think everyone should just jump <laughs> immediately, <laughs> but there are plenty of people who have, and it's worked out well. Yeah. The gradual path worked well for me, but not everyone has the same job or whatever else. Maybe I'd be doing better if I'd made the leap earlier. I don't know. <laughs> no way to know, but you do yeah. the best you can. It, you, like you said, it depends. I always ask, it depends on what, but your situation, like your family <laughs> right. situation, what are your goals? If you don't even know what your goals are, like write right. them down, get them onto some sort of a vision board. Like those goals will drive you when things sh either shiny object or when things get tough. Jamie, can you follow up with letting people know how to reach out to you after the podcast and more importantly, why they should reach out to you after the podcast? <laughs> Absolutely. So I do have, so labradorlending.com is our primary website for my main business. We've got a lot of free resources there. We have information for both passive note investors and active, more active note investors. And what that typically boils down to is the passive side is the accredited investor who wants to invest in a fund. On the active side, we offer mentorship for people who want to learn note investing, or maybe just want to understand it a little bit more to decide, oh, that's not for me. So we offer things for active and passive investors through labradorlending.com. And the other thing I'll throw out there is my podcast, which Emma was a I'm very a thankful. Ball baby on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Graced us with her presence. And that is called From Adversity to Abundance. So I ask your listener to, to check that out. It's also for entrepreneurs. And so I think it'd be a similar kind of audience profile to your show. Yeah. Thank you. I think that you have done some amazing things over the last several years, your whole career with between the athletics and the military and just thinking differently about things and then taking steps to accomplish that. Even though you didn't rip the bandaid off, I don't even want to say even though that's not even the right word. <laughs> you didn't rip off a bandaid and you showed that you don't have to, and you probably shouldn't like coming through this with a plan and taking it step by step 
that's the responsible thing to do. So you were able to still make those incremental steps and you still arrived where you were going rather than just thinking about it and griping about it. You made an action plan. It's kind of like when people say, oh, I don't want to go back to law school or back to medical school. I'm too old. I'm like, well, you're going to be eight years older anyway. You might as well <laughs> anyway. be graduated from medical school if that's what you really want. And so the sure. same thing, you took those steps and you iterated on your success to success and you ended up in a place that is the place that you are wanting to be and you're continuing to pursue that path. So that's an inspiring yeah. story and you. you have done some amazing things. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. Thank you so much. And I do think action, taking a step is critical. If someone is stuck, take a step, do move in one direction. It's, you can still turn 10 degrees and then turn back. You don't have to conquer it all immediately, but I do think taking one small step toward your goal is critical. So thank you so much, Emma. I really appreciate you having me on. This was awesome. Yeah, Thank you. And you didn't cry. Maybe we'll have to do it again and see if we can return the favor. We'll <laughs> yeah. try again. Follow <laughs> Thanks up. so much, Jamie. <laughs> Absolutely. Talk thank to you, you soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode today. And we will catch you all on our next passive income adventure.